Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, February 3rd episode. That's episode 156 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. And Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is newly a member of the Christian, a proud member of the Christian podcast community. You can go find uh, the Christian podcast community over at podcasts.com strivingforeternity.org. I would definitely recommend you get over there. They're wonderful, wonderful podcasts. I definitely listen to more than a few of them myself. The only reason I don't listen to more is because I run out of time during the day, but definitely worth your while. I'd also point out to you again, the links in our show notes, um, the closing prayer for this morning segment. I could not find a good link for it. So I'm going to be reading it straight out of the hard copy of Valley of Vision for you. Um, but I do list the page number. If you ever get yourself a hard copy, you can follow along there, uh, which I would recommend. Uh, also, let's see, uh, Bible reading plans, the the links to the PDFs for them are, are in the show notes. Uh, we're working through the 2023 plan that I listed there, but uh, I also continue to list McShane's because it is a wonderful plan to use in your personal reading, which I would definitely recommend. Um, there's also a, a link there for the Vale Valley Baptist Church. <clears throat> give sin go campaign the give sin go p- campaign we are working uh to rapidly get our mortgage paid off so that we can can commence work on establishing a uh christian classic education based school to provide for our community to provide a solid place for our children to get a good education a place where we feel like we can trust what what the children are being educated educated in sorry so, you know, what we would ask for you is I've given you the link. Please go ahead and click on it. Go take a look. It's a better explanation than I've given you of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you to pray for us, to prayerfully consider giving and to pass the link on to other people so they can do the same. That's all we ask of you. All right, let's go ahead and get started this morning. We'll do our reading this morning and then we'll continue our study in uh, John 5 this afternoon or this evening in the evening segment. So we're going to open like we usually do on Friday with the six day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy goodness, infinite, thy compassions, unfailing, thy providence, boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, Suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, 
rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every face sorry, may and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, and now our devotion, our February 3rd morning devotion. Uh, the text is Romans 8.12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. As God's creatures, we are all debtors to him, to obey him with all our body and soul and strength, having broken his commandments, as we all have. We are debtors to his justice, and we owe to him a vast amount which we are not able to pay. But of the Christian it can be said that he does not owe God's justice anything, for Christ has paid the debt his people owed. For this reason the believer owes the more to love. I am a debtor to God's grace and forgiving mercy, but I am no debtor to his justice, for he will never accuse me of a debt already paid. Christ said, It is finished. And by that he meant that whatever his people owed was wiped away forever from the book of remembrance. Christ to the uttermost has satisfied divine justice. The account is settled. The handwriting is nailed to the cross. The receipt is given, and we are debtors to God's justice no longer. But then because we are not debtors to our Lord in that sense, we become ten times more debtors to God than we should have been otherwise. Christian, pause and ponder for a moment. What a debtor thou art to divine sovereignty! How much thou owest to, to his disinterested love, for he gave his own son that he might die for thee! Consider how much you owe to his forgiving grace, that after ten thousand affronts he loves you as infinitely as ever. Consider what you owe to his power, how he has raised you from your death and sin, how he has preserved your spiritual life, how he has kept you from falling, and how, though a thousand enemies have beset your path, you have been able to hold on your way. Consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. Thou art as deep in debt as thou canst be to every attribute of God. To God thou owest thyself, and all thou hast. Yield thyself as a living sacrifice. It is but thy reasonable service. All right. Now we're going to get into our reading for this evening. Uh, we're starting in Exodus 17, verse 8, and we'll just work our way through. So Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will take my stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him, to fight against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So what happened when Moses raised his hand up, the Isra that Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it in Joshua's hearing, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and named it Yahweh is my banner. 
And he said, Because he has sworn with a hand upon the throne of Yah, Yahweh will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. All right. And now Exodus 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign foreign land, and the other was named Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and went into the tent. And Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which Yahweh had done to Israel, that he had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh, who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods, for in this matter they acted presumptuously against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and a sacrifice for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, father-in-law, before God. Now it happened the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about yet Moses from the morning until the evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. So he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out, both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the matters to God. Then warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they shall go and the work they shall do. But you shall select excellent men out of all the people, those who fear God, men of truth, those who hate greedy gain, and you shall place these men over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they will judge the people at all times, and it will be that every major matter they will bring to you but every minor matter they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose excellent men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, the difficult matter they would bring to Moses, but every minor matter they themselves would judge. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. All right, in Exodus 19, we're going to read through to verse 15. 
In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on this day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Then they set out from Rephidim, and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Mountain. Now Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh also said to Moses, Go to the people and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or surely shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horde sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the come up on the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and set the people apart as holy, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. All right, and now Matthew. Uh, we are in... Matthew 22, we're starting in verse 34 through the end of the chapter. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Therefore if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. And now Matthew 23, reading through to verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore all that they tell you do and keep, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. 
But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called instructors, for one is your instructor, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. All right. Psalm 27, this is verses 7 through 14. Hear, O Yahweh, when I call with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. On your behalf my heart says, Seek my face. Your face, O Yahweh, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your slave away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, and do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me up. Instruct me in your way, O Yahweh, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not give me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had... I'm sorry, I got lost track. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Hope in Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Hope in Yahweh. All right. And finally, Proverbs 6, verses 27 through 35. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals, to fill himself when he is hungered. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house, the one who commits adultery with the woman is lacking a heart of wisdom. He who would destroy his soul does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom. He will not be willing, though you give many bribes. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I hope this time together has been a blessing to you and has um, helped to equip you. Um, wow, this is going to be hard to read. Um, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope that you go out, that as you go out, that you do all you do today for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. The prayer we're going to close in from Valley Vision is called New Year. New Year. And let's see if I can read it. My room is kind of dark here. Let's pray. O Lord, length of days does not profit me, except the days are passed in thy presence, in thy service to thy glory. Give me a grace that proceeds, follows, guides, sustains, sanctifies, aids every hour, that I may not be one moment apart from thee, but may rely on thy spirit to supply every thought, speak in every word, direct every step, prosper every work, Build up every mote of faith, and give me a desire to show forth thy praise. Testify thy love, advance thy kingdom. I launch my bark on the unknown waters of this year. With thee, O Father, at my har harbor, thee, O Son, at my home, thee, O Holy Spirit, filling my sails. Guide me to heaven with my loins girt, my lamp burning, my ear open to thy calls, my heart full of love, my soul free. Give me thy grace to sanctify me, thy comforts to cheer, thy wisdom to teach, thy right hand to guide, thy counsel to interact, thy law to judge, thy pre presence to stabilize, 
May thy fear be my awe, thy triumphs my joy. Amen. All right, you have yourself a good day. Like I said, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the, uh, let's see, Friday, February 3rd episode. That's episode 156 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a proud member, recently a proud member of the Christian podcast community. You can find the Christian podcast community podcasts over at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. There are wonderful, wonderful podcasts over there. I would recommend you go over there. And fact is, if you get over there and find somebody you'd rather listen to than me, I'm okay with that because there are some folks over there I'd rather listen to than me. Um, um, only reason I don't listen to more of the ones over there and I listen to a good number of them is because I don't have enough time in the day. I, I run out of time. There are more than enough over there. You can find what you're really looking for, and I would definitely encourage it. Um, reminder about the links in our show notes, um, you know, links for the, for the things I'm going to be reading link, links for the, um, the prayers we're going to be doing. Um, and the last link in there of the resources again is the uh, link for the Vail Valley Baptist church gives and go campaign. Um, what we are doing is we are trying to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can move on to the next steps and start establishing a Christian classical education based school. Um, to provide our community with a solid, safe place for our children and our grandchildren to go to school and get properly educated. Um, what we would request of you is go ahead and click the link. You can go read about it. Um, that, that link, there's big description and all that stuff. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to um, prayerfully consider giving. And then we would ask you to pass the link on to folks you know so that they can do the same thing. All right. And thank you for your time today. Thank you for your time considering that. And thank you for wanting to come and spend this time with me this evening. Uh, let's go ahead and let's jump right into it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and open up with a prayer from Valley of Vision like we usually do. This one is called New Beginning. Let's pray. Incomprehensible, great and glorious God, I adore thee and abase myself. I approach thee mindful that I am less than nothing, a creature worse than nothing. My thoughts are not screened from thy gaze. My secret sins blaze in the light of thy countenance. Enable me to remember that blood which cleanseth all sin, to believe in that grace which subdues all iniquities, to resign myself to that agency which can deliver me from the bondage of corruption, and to the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Thou hast begun a good work in me, and canst alone continue and complete it. Give me an increasing conviction of my tendency to err, and of my exposure to sin. Help me to feel more of the pure, purifying, softening influence of religion, its compassion, love, pity, courtesy, and employ me as thy instrument in blessing others. Give me to distinguish between the mere form of godliness and its power, between life and a name to live, between guile and truth, between hypocrisy and a religion that will bear thy eye. If I am not right, set me right, keep me right, and may I at last come to thy house in peace. Amen. All right. Now our evening devotion, the text for it is from Song of Solomon, or as I prefer to call it, the Song of Songs, chapter one, verse seven. Tell me where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. 
These words express the desire of the believer after Christ and his longing for present communion with him. Where dost thou feed thy flock? In thy house I will go, if I may find thee there in private prayer. Then I will pray without ceasing. In the word, then I will read it diligently. In thy ordinances, then I will walk in them with all my heart. Tell me where thou feedest, for wherever thou standest as the shepherd, there will I lie down as a sheep. For none but thyself can supply my need. I cannot be satisfied to be apart from thee. My soul hungers and thirsts for the refreshment of thy presence. Where dost thou make thy flock to rest at noon? For whether at dawn or at noon, my only rest must be where thou art, and thy beloved flock. My soul's rest must be a grace-given rest, and can only be found in thee. Where is the shadow of that rock? Why should I not repose beneath it? Why should I be as one that turneth aside? By the flocks of thy companions. Thou hast companions, why should I not be one? Satan tells me I am unworthy, but I always was unworthy, and yet thou hast long loved me, and therefore my unworthiness cannot be a bar to my having fellowship with thee now. It is true, I am weak in faith, and prone to fall, but my very feebleness in the reason why, is the reason why I should always be where thou feedest thy flock, that I may be strengthened and preserved in safety beside the still waters. Why should I turn aside? There is no reason why I should, but there are a thousand reasons why I should not. For Jesus beckons me to come, if he withdrew himself a little, it is but to make me prize his presence more. Now that I am grieved and distressed at being away from him, he will lead me yet again to that sheltered nook where the lambs of his fold are sheltered from the burning sun. All right. Okay, we are continuing on in our study of... Uh, I'm sorry, of John chapter five. Um, and we, well, let's see what we're going to be focusing on today are verses 37 and 38. So I'm going to go ahead. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I was thinking about reading this whole section, um, but I'm going to back up to verse 36, which we dealt with last evening, dealing with um, the witness of Jesus's works. And then we're going to work our, our text for today. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm just going to do verses 37, 38. Sorry, I'm flip-flopping a little bit here. So verses 37 and 38, John 5, verses 37 and 38. And we're going to be dealing with um, the Messiah. This is, again, this is in the section about the Messiah and his witnesses. This is part four of it. And the, the witness we're focusing on today is going to be God. So verses 37, 38. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent who, him whom he sent. All right, you know, and we've talked about this. We've, you know, I've I've laid out for you a couple of times here, um, and I, I'm going to try to do it with a little bit less because I've been really, really wordy, and I'm sorry. Um, it's just I want to make sure you're, you're you're hearing these verses and hearing what we're talking about in the right context. But like we said before, you know, we came out the end of, um, well, like we've talked about, the purpose of this whole gospel is so that that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the Son of God. That this whole book has been written that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing we would have life in His name. John twenty thirty one, that we would have life in His name, we would have eternal life, we would have saving faith. And so, you know, like we've said, we've seen the things that have come to come along. Um, we've seen the miracles that he has done. Um, 
And this is following one of the miracles. He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Like, like I've said for the last couple of evenings, man had been lame for 38 years. And we don't know how old the man is, but you got to realize some of the folks, some of the folks in that age, in that, in that time, first century, yeah, they barely lived 38 years. This man's been lame for 38 years. So probably a good portion of his life. And lame to the point, we've talked about it a couple of times, lame to the point that he couldn't beat the other sick and lame people there to get into the pool to be healed by the angel stirring the water or whatever they thought would happen. Um, so definitely in real bad shape. And Jesus walks up to him, ask him if he wants to be well. Of course, the guy focuses on himself and Jesus heals him. He heals him. He tells him to stand up, pick up his pallet and walk. So he stands up, picks up his pallet and walks. I mean, he's instantly healed. No getting a little better at a time, a little bit at a time. He's healed. But these, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, the Jewish leadership, these Jews that, you know, John, the apostle says Jews, he's talking about the Jewish leadership get so caught up in the fact that he's violating the rabbinical statutes that they've put in. And I'm, I'm being real, I'm being specific here. Rabbinical meaning the rabbis of the Jewish leadership created these rules. These are not part of the Mosaic covenant. These are not part of God's laws in a lot of cases. And Jesus called them out. And we talked about this a few evenings ago. Jesus called them out to point out that the fact is you've written these laws in direct contravention of some of the Mosaic law. They would, they would put their own statutes ahead of the Mosaic law giving them more power. They wanted power. It, it wasn't about honoring God anymore. If it had ever been, they had turned it into such a false religion. And we've talked about that. So they were upset with him because he was violating the rabbinical law. Now he's doing exactly what God would have meant the Sabbath for. He healed a man, healed a man who has been lame for 38 years. He's glorifying God. He's showing clearly that he is a true prophet of God. The only people who have ever been this have been true prophets of God. Elijah, Elisha, people like that are the only ones who have ever done this kind of thing. And here he is. He's healed this man. How amazing that had to have been. But they're more worried about the fact that he's violating the Sabbath. So we end up, and this is about verses 15 or 16 in John 5. And so we, we again, we see Jesus go on the defense. Now, like I've pointed out before, he doesn't start defending the fact that it was okay for him to do stuff on the Sabbath. He proceeds to show them that he is the Christ, the son of God. He proceeds to show them, to declare to them and give them evidence like, like he's in a trial, like he is the defense lawyer in a trial, but he's defending himself. And he proceeds to show them his equality with God. He proceeds to go through a number of steps showing his equality with God. And he proceeds to show them that, um, that he has the power for resurrection that he, you know, he tells them clearly, I have the power of resurrection. God has given me that to provide for both the spiritual and the physical resurrection. And then basically he comes to the point that he proceeds to start calling his witnesses. He proceeds to start calling his witnesses. And that's what we've been dealing with the last three evenings. This will be the fourth. He starts calling his witnesses. And again, um, like I've pointed out a few times, and I'm going to do it again, just to make sure, just in case you've never listened to me before. So you'll understand this. 
we get caught up in our day and age with all the electronic and all, all the, you know, the, the DNA and, and the fingerprinting and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have that back then. The best evidence they had was bringing witnesses forward to attest to things back then. But fact is, while we may get caught up in the electronic and stuff now, the fact is, and, and I'm not, I'm not bringing this up to, to say one thing was right, one thing was wrong or anything like that. But in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, if, if you know anything about it, the fact was the testimony of one of the people that he that he hurt, that he hurt while, while what the jury determined was trying to defend himself. So I'll, I'll say that I'm not putting my own opinion forward here, but the jury decided and, and so acquitted him that he was trying to defend himself. That man's own testimony, this was one of the three that he injured, that man's own testimony strengthened Kyle Rittenhouse's case because he made kind of clear that, listen, you know, we're, we're the ones that went after him, you know, or at least in his case, I'm the one who went after him. I did this. I did that. I did the other. And it made clear that it, it, it may, at least made clear to the jury that this man was in fear for his life and defended himself. At least that's how the jury saw it. So that were, look at the, that strength of witness, even in our own day of, of, of eyewitness. I mean, there was all the video, but then this man who, who, you know, and I was about to say who better to testify, except the fact is, you know, it's been proven that, w that we men, um, sometimes can be the worst witnesses. Um, but again, witnesses are strong. So we've seen during all this, we've seen clearly the indication in, through these witnesses. We've seen the witness of Jesus talking about his own witness. And of course he says, my witness is not true. Again, like I said before, he's not saying he, what he is saying is false. He's saying that his witness, his a sole witness, him being the sole witness is not enough in their court system. And then he speaks briefly about God. There's a brief one, verse 32. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know the witness which he gives about me is true. This is a reference to God. At least that's how I believe other you know, theologians. Some believe differently. Some believe like I do. And then we see verse 33 through 35. We see the witness of John the Baptist. And he doesn't belittle him, but he makes clear, you know, I don't need the testimony of men, but here's a man you've trusted before, yet you won't trust him enough but he has testified to the truth. But Jesus talks about, it. he brings these things up so that you would be saved. This is a guy you've believed in. This is a guy you've trusted as a prophet of God, the first prophet in 400 years. But he rebukes them, but you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light instead of permanently only a while. And then verse 36 Jesus speaks of the witness of his works. And again, we talked about the witness of his works, his general works, his behavior, his life, the life he has led that, that it's, um, and I think, I think I've got these terms, right? It's his passive obedience to God His living a pure, sinless life. Something you and I could never do. No man could ever do other than the incarnate God, incarnate God, Jesus Christ. But then we also talked about the miracles, the amazing miracles up to and including, you know, the, the resurrection of Lazarus and then his own resurrection, um, make very, very clear that he is the Christ, the son of God, meaning they, they've got no ground to say anything to him. The Sabbath is meant, meant for him, not him for the Sabbath. And like I said last evening, as we closed up, but he's building, 
So we talked Jesus, a brief thing about God, John the Baptist, Jesus's works. And tonight we're going to deal with God as a witness, verses 37 and 38. So I'm going to read them again here real quick. And the father who sent me, he has borne witness about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe him whom he sent. So, you know, with such an awesome testimony, the testimony of John the Baptist, and then the testimony of his works, where do you really go from there? But well, we see he goes to God and there are some that feel that these two verses point us into verses 39 through 47, where the final witness that Jesus calls the scriptures, the word of God brings home Jesus's defense and God willing, we'll dig into these verses, you know, over the next couple of evenings. And I can see their point is that what makes sense. Speaking of the witness of God, God, John five thirty two. there is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony, which he gives about me is true. And then these verses 37 and 38, and then speaking of the word of God. But I also believe Jesus is here, is here speaking of the time already in his life that God directly testified of him. Matthew three sixteen and 17 which is at the baptism of John the Baptist, where John the Baptist baptized him and Jesus descended and, and the, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon him. And then God spoke, this is my son in whom I am well, I am well pleased. And I think I quoted that right. But that he's also referencing that, that which is to come at the transfiguration, Luke nine thirty five, where to the three apostles that are, that are, that have gone there, that Jesus has taken up there on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, hear God again attest to the fact that this is his son, that Jesus is the son of God. So then we have to ask the question, what does Jesus mean when he speaks of, you have neither seen nor heard? Um, let's see where to go. You have neither, there we go, the second half of verse 37. You have neither seen nor heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. This comes from the question, as Matthew Henry put it, if God himself thus bore witness of Christ, how came it to pass that he was not universal, universally received by the Jewish nation and their rulers? Henry alludes to, and I agree with him, that had the Jews paid attention to the ministry of John the Baptist, which, you know, Jesus alludes to the fact that they really don't, not like they should. Verse 35, he was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. Again, if they had paid attention to the ministry of John the Baptist, they would have seen and heard the testimony of God with his voice and the spirit like a dove indicated in Matthew three sixteen and 17. So here's the verses I was talking about before. The father bore witness of me by a voice and the descent of a dove, which is such an extraordinary thing that you never saw or heard the like. Um, this, this is a quote. This is kind of a um, Matthew Henry kind of says here, here would be Jesus's testimony of this that the father bore witness of me by a voice and the descent of a dove, which is such an extraordinary thing that you never saw or heard the like. And yet for my sake, there was such a voice and appearance. Yea, And you might've heard that voice. You might have seen that appearance as others did. If you had closely attended the ministry of John, but by slighting it, you missed of that testimony. 
that's what he's talking about here. And that actually references and references or, or is tied to verse 35 there. He was a lamp that was burning and shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. As we see in the gospels, the Jewish leadership were not happy with the Baptist ministry as he repeatedly called them out for the vipers. They truly were. Don't get me wrong. When he showed up first prophet in 400 years, they went hightailing it out there. Oh boy, look at this. And, and some of them even were baptized and all that. But again, and, and when Jesus starts showing up, well, actually, while Jesus was getting ready to start his ministry, they go out to John and they're like, you know, are you the Christ? Well, I'm sorry. They ask, who are you? And of course, it was implied, are you the Christ? And of course, John says, no, I'm not. They ask if he was Elijah. No, I'm not. He came in the spirit of Elijah, but he was not Elijah returning. And then they ask if he was the prophet, which honestly is an Old Testament reference to the Christ. And they, they even miss that. But they didn't like John the Baptist's ministry. They didn't like it because he called them out for what they were. He was showing clearly how false their religion was. And Jesus is also here referring to the fact that while the word of God existed among them, it was nothing more than an intellectual pursuit for most. And as we've spoken of, of many times before, they had all of the Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets. We've seen on many occasions, on, you can see on many occasions through Sunday sermons and Wednesday night Bible studies and whatever, as well as messages from others that we're exposed to, that the Old Testament constantly pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, um, to Jesus of Nazareth as the Savior, of course. We have also seen that they repeatedly point to John the Baptist as the forerunner. Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 5 is one example that points to John as the forerunner. John the Baptist is a forerunner. He clearly meets that criteria as being the forerunner. So John the Baptist coming is a gigantic neon arrow pointing at the fact that the Messiah is here, pointing at Jesus. There was really no excuse for them not to grasp that this man they were accusing was the son of God. Honestly, John the Baptist being there and even baptizing him and the dove coming down would have been like one of those giant, and I don't think they do them anymore, but I remember them as a kid sometimes, those giant spotlights that would be at like a car dealership and would sit there and circle around and you'd see the beam of the light circling around in the air trying to draw people to it with Jesus standing there beside the light. I mean, no kidding. It's that obvious. But Jesus makes clear here that the word of God did not abide in them. Again, as Matthew Henry so eloquently paints it, so the, I'm sorry, the verses, and you do not have the, verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. So again, Matthew Henry puts it here. The word of God was not in them. It was among them in their country, in their hands, but not in them not in their hearts, not ruling in their souls, but only shining in their eyes and sounding in their ears. What did it avail them that they had the oracles of God committed to them? Romans 3, 2. When they had not these oracles commanding in them, if they had, they would have readily have embraced Christ. And he goes on to say, many have the word of God coming into them in our, in our own day. Many have the word of God coming into them and making some impressions for a while. But it doesn't abide with them. It is not constantly in them as a man at home, but only now and then as a wayfaring man. 
If the word abide in us, if we converse with it by frequent med- meditation, consult with it upon every occasion, and conform to it in our conversation, we shall then readily receive the witness of the Father concerning Christ. And we have to. Unlike these, this is the example of what not to do. We've, we've got to accept the testimony of God. All the testimony around Jesus that he is the Christ, the son of God, that he is our savior. Jesus was making very clear here that God himself testified to the deity and sonship of Jesus Christ, but that these folks, the Jews, the Jewish leadership did not have the word of God, did not have God and a true worship of and faith in God abiding in them at all, evidenced by their disbelief in Jesus, the son sent by God. But what an amazing witness. Jesus has hit his accusers with a trifecta of often awesome witnesses. We've seen John the Baptist, we've seen his works, and we've seen God. You know, the first prophet of God in over 400 years. The works done by him. I mean, the the miracles and this perfect life. This life that is unimpeachable, even by God himself. And the direct testimony of God. In his audible word and through the scriptures, I mean, through the prophets themselves, which again, God willing, we're going to go on, go along and address the scriptures themselves. But that's the thing. These people are so caught up in the, this Jewish leadership and, 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 you know, it's easy to sit there and go, oh, the Jewish leaders, but this isn't the average you on the street. You want to bet? I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe they were a little more accepting of the testimony of John the Baptist and, and of the preaching and the ministry of John the Baptist and of Jesus. But, but we see it repeatedly where Jesus go, where Jesus, Jesus won't trust himself. Um, John two verses 23 through 25, where Jesus won't trust himself to them. Um, times where he actually calls them out. This is, I think it's later in John where, where they're following him around. And he goes, you're following me for, for the bread that I've made through miracles. You're following me around for temporal needs. You're not following me for the bread of life that I give you, my word, my body itself. That's not what you're looking for. The Jewish leadership was the same thing. They wanted their power and they wanted it now. They they they, they wanted in some of our reading we did the, in the this morning section. They they big, bigger lapels. They were bigger bigger fringes or longer fringes, longer tassels, and bigger bigger. Um, uh, what is it? Panels right, right on the front of their robes and all that kind of stuff to, so that they stood out. They were more fancy than everybody else wanted the best seats, you know, in the courts, best seats everywhere. Um, you know, they basically wanted to sit on the 50 yard line. They wanted to sit on um, center at center ice. Um, they wanted to sit at center court in a basketball game all the time. And they usually did. And they did not want to lose that. They were not willing to lose that power, to lose that ability to lord it over the average citizen. And so they hung on to this false religion that they had twisted this into. They had absolutely no grace. I mean, Jesus is clear here that, that, that God's word is not abiding in them because they don't believe him, Christ, whom he, God, sent. I mean, we've got to understand this. He is checking every box from every prophecy made about him in the Old Testament. In this book, these guys are supposed to be the experts on. These are supposed to be the experts on this. 
and because he's a threat to their to their authority and to their power they ignore it through stupidity i don't know through ignorance or i am honestly the way they come across to me and i, I don't know if i'm correct at this or not they're just evil they are evil they are not willing to get up and they're going to give up and they're going to fight anything that might take that away from them and we can't be like this. It's easy to sit there and point at them, but we can't be like this. That is exactly what our church has done today across denominations. We've got people running around that are more about, they, they honestly, they want to turn it into, um, they want to turn their churches and what's going on in them to their own personal fiefdoms. They want to hang on to the power. They, they don't seem to understand that the church isn't ours, it's God's. And we are the body of Christ. We, we belong to Christ. We're the body of Christ. That means we belong to Christ. Meaning we're to be about his work. We are to be about the work of God. We are to be worshiping as God worships. What we do in the church is to be at, at his will and at his whim, though he doesn't have whims because he's immutable. Um, but we are to be do, doing it the way he proclaims and for his glory. It's not supposed to be about us, but we end up doing the same thing. Even in some of the most reformed, even in some of the best, um, best preaching, best teaching groups, way too often we let our egos run rampant, um, you know, and, and we cannot do that. We've got to step into the church. We've got to step in. And I'm not really talking about, about a building. It can be a building if you happen, if your church happens to own one. Of course, we're fighting our way up from under a mortgage, so we do. But, but you can't go about life as the ecclesia, the set-apart ones, the church. The church of God, the, the, the body of Christ. Unless you believe in the Jesus of the Bible. This Jesus that he's showing to these people, that he's showing to these Jewish leaders, and they're ignoring it, even though he's doing everything. I mean, the fact is, he's doing everything but holding up the scripture and going, look, though he's actually going to do that and point out that, that they're not even reading the scripture right. But he could hold it up and have red pinned it to show them, this is all the things I mean, and they wouldn't care. They wouldn't care. And we, we and unfortunately, we don't. In our day and age, there's way too often where we want to turn and twist and shape Jesus into what we want him to be. We want to shape the teachings of Jesus into what we want them to be. We want to shape the teachings of God into what we want God to be love, love, love. We want Jesus to be love, love, love. Well, okay. Yeah, Jesus was grace. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. What greater love has he? What greater love has God than to give his only son? But they are also just. Jesus will be the judge. On his return, he will be the judge of this world. And unless we are saved, unless we truly see him as our only savior, as the way, the truth, and the life, unless we do, you and I face judgment alone and we face eternity facing the wrath of God. And that's terrifying. And that's why I sit here and, and preach at you every evening. This is why I sit here and try to teach this Bible study and point at you every evening. And I'm sorry, I know you get tired of hearing me repeat things a lot. I do. But I do it because I love you. I do it because I don't 
want to see you face Judgment Day alone. I want to see you face it draped in the righteous robes of Christ and with Christ standing there as your advocate going, Father, this one's ours. That's what I want for you. So I want you to know the truth as hard as the truth is. You will never be righteous enough. I will never be righteous enough. And there is only one who ever was and that is the one who, if we believe has taken the punishment for our sins, has paid that debt we can't, as as one of the I think one of the prayers or the devotions that I read today spoke of. Pays the price we can't. And that's this Jesus that he's explaining to them and showing them that he is and showing us that he is. Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, our only Savior. And we've got to know that. And that's what we've got to base our moving forward and our walk in. All right. We're going to go ahead and close up with our six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. Oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, not depart ye cursed, but look unto me and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. Amen. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I would pray that it uh, was truly edifying for you. Um, God willing, we'll continue on through this area, this section of the witnesses. Um, and tomorrow evening we'll get into dealing with the scripture as a witness. And actually we've got a couple of evenings of it because there's parts of it we need to deal with separately. So there's going to be three or four evenings of dealing with the scripture as, as a witness to the Christ. Um, so again, you'll probably hear me repeat some things and I'm sorry if that, if that drives you nuts. Um, unfortunately that's part of my character. Um, but I hope it is edifying for you. Um, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I will see you tomorrow, tomorrow morning. God bless.